Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. Let's, let's pray and we'll start our lesson today. God, we thank you for our time of discussion together. We thank you for just helping us to get to know one another. And God, we're asking you now to just give us 30 minutes of focus. Um, God, would you move me aside and would you just uh, teach us as we try to get an overview of this great book of Ephesians. God, we trust that you're able to do that. I trust that you are able to do that despite me and despite um, any any hesitation that I may have or any fear that I may have. And I I just pray, God, that you would um, give me confidence and give us confidence in you together. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I will never forget the first day that my parents dropped me off at college for the first time. My, my parents asked me to meet them at church after I spent my first night alone in my dorm room. And so I show up to church, I meet my parents, and my mom comes in wearing these ginormous sunglasses. And I, I never saw her do that before, but she's wearing them, and then she sits down in the pew, and she does not take them off. And I look at my dad, and, I'm, and he, he's just telling me, don't talk to her. She's not well. And so then we, so we go through the whole uh, church service and we hit the final amen and my mom stands up and goes, well, dad and I've got to go. We've got a long drive. We've got to get going. Let's get out to the parking lot. Let's say goodbye. And I, I was just like dumbfounded. And she, I mean, that's what happened. We, we rush out to the parking lot. My mom just gives me a little pat. They get into the car. They don't even take me to lunch. <laughs> and I'm just standing there going, what, what just happened? But on that 10-hour drive home, my mom wrote me a letter. And it's, it was really hard for my mom to share her feelings. It was really hard for her to tell me things like, I love you. But on that drive, with a lot of time on her hands, filled with emotions, she had some very important things that she wanted for me to know, and she wrote them down. She wanted me to know that she was proud of me and that she loved me. And she wanted to give me some advice about how to live on my own as a follower of Jesus. And needless to say, all these years later, I still have that letter from my mom. Well, in a somewhat similar way, Ephesians is a letter that's written by a man who has a lot of time on his hands. And he's writing to people whom he loves very much. And he has some really important things that he wants to say to them. Namely, that by grace, they have been saved. He wants them to know who they are in Christ. He wants them to know how much they're loved and prayed over. And he wants them to know how to live together as the church. So I'm excited for us to jump into this letter of Paul this semester, the letter to the Ephesians. This morning, we're going to consider this book in its context. And you have this slide on your notes. Anytime we study anything in scripture, we always want to start with the text, with the book that we're studying as our center point. But then we have some layers of context that we want to consider as, as by way of overview. The first 
layer is a system by which to study the actual words themselves. We want to deal with the words that are in the text, and we will do that with a system of study. The next layer is the situation, the people and the places and the events that inform that book. We want to consider those today. And then finally, the biggest, the biggest circle is the scope. Where does this book fit into the big picture of the story of God? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to start on that outer, on that outer layer at the scope, and we're going to work our, our way in. So let's jump in. Starting with scope, I want you to know, if you've been with me for a while, you know this is something I'm passionate about, that the Bible is one continuous story about God from Genesis to Revelation. We often make the mistake of studying the Bible thinking that it's all about us, how I can be saved, how I can live a better life. But the truth is that the Bible is all about God the Father revealing himself to us in the person of God the Son, Jesus Christ, through God the Holy Spirit. God's story is always either pointing forward to our desperate, desperate need for Jesus, or it's looking back on his life and teachings and what it means to live in light of his death and his resurrection as his church. So we always want to start any book of the Bible by asking, where does this book, this book of Ephesians, where does it fit into the big story of God? Well, we studied last semester Joshua and Judges, and I want to show you how Joshua and Judges and Ephesians uniquely work together to tell us about Jesus, to show you how it's all one continuous story. So if you were here I'm going to give you a little recap. If you, were, if you were not here with us, I'm going to give you some um, reminders about what Joshua and Judges are about. So Joshua and Judges are the conquest books of the Old Testament. You have this little slide. Don't write anything. <laughs> They're the conquest books of the Old Testament. In them, God conquered the enemies of the children of Israel so that they could receive their inheritance, the land of Canaan that was promised to Abraham and his descendants. But as they entered Canaan, you will remember, God left a lot of work for them to do together. They had to fight. Israel had to fight to take possession of the land, to drive out its inhabitants and to destroy its idols, trusting God and following his law. We learned last semester that in the Greek language, Joshua and Jesus are the same name. And in many ways, Joshua prefigured Christ, a servant leader who did only what the Father told him to do, acting on his behalf. But after his death and after a death of a whole generation of Israelites, judges showed us that there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, failing miserably to do as God had commanded. But by his grace... God didn't abandon his people. He rose up judges who pointed Israel to their need for a king who could make them right in God's eyes, a coming Messiah. So Ephesians, Ephesians is the conquest book of the New Testament. In it, we see that God has secured a victory and an inheritance for his people in Christ and sealed us with his Holy Spirit. 
So confident in our salvation as his church, he requires our collective obedience. I'm sorry, I missed one. He requires our collective obedience to suit up for battle together and to fight to remove every idol and every stronghold that competes for our affections. Ephesians makes it clear that Jesus is the one that Israel was waiting for. He was a better Joshua. He was a better judge. In fact, he was the king of kings, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets and law. But now God's promises are going to extend beyond just Israel, beyond the Jews. Now his promises extend to the Jews and to the Gentiles. So by grace, God came in the form of Jesus to rescue his people, Jews and Gentiles, unified by the saving work of Christ on the cross for all who believe and trust in him. So next, we're going to move one layer of our circle in to the situation We want an awareness of the people, places, and events that inform the book of Ephesians. We know that all scripture is breathed out by God, but I want you to know that he guided over 40 regular people to write these words down. And he did that in a specific place and at a specific time in history. And so the authors of the books of the Bible were influenced by their culture and what was going on around them, especially when writing letters that are so personal like this, the one that we're studying this semester. They had an audience in mind and a meaning that they wanted to convey. And so we need to ask some some situational questions so that we can maybe get a better understanding of that meaning. Okay, so we're gonna start with who wrote the book of Ephesians? Well, Ephesians chapter one, verse one tells us clearly, Paul an apostle by the will of God. Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles who walked with Jesus. In fact, he was a persecutor of those 12 and of the other disciples who walked with Jesus up to and after his death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul, formerly known as Saul, encountered Jesus in a supernatural way on the road to Damascus. You can read all about it in Acts chapter nine. Encourage you to do so. He was given a special commission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So ironic. He was the Jew of Jews. He was to take it to the Gentiles. And he goes on to write 13 letters of our New Testament. Well, to whom was it written and when? The second part of Ephesians 1 verse one tells us, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. This is a letter that was to be read aloud to Jewish and Gentile Christians, the saints in and around the city of Ephesus. Now, Paul traveled to Ephesus briefly on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts 18. But he returned on his third missionary journey and he spent roughly three years in this town from AD 54 to AD 57, proclaiming the gospel and planting churches in and around the city. He wrote our letter, the letter to the Ephesians, only about five years later in AD 62 from a prison cell in Rome. 
So what I want us to do for a few minutes, this is gonna be the bulk of our time, is I want you to get your Bibles out, open up to Acts chapter 19. We are going to read a bunch of this chapter together to see what we can learn about Ephesus just prior to Paul writing the letter to the Ephesians. So your first blank there is Ephesus was an influential city. We're going to start in chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now skip down all the way to verse 8. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. Don't miss this part. If you underline, underline this. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Pretty powerful statement. You can see on this map that Ephesus was an important and wealthy port city on the west coast of Asia. Can everybody see it up there? It's um, what is in modern day Turkey. And at this time, it was the fourth or fifth largest city in the world. It had a massive amphitheater. These are the ruins of it that still exist today. This amphitheater seated about 20 to 25,000 people And they hosted these great athletic events that would draw in people from all the surrounding regions of Asia. So we see in Acts chapter 19, what we just read, that Paul, he tried, he started off teaching for a few months in the synagogue to the Jews. But that didn't go very well. The Jews didn't really like what he had to say. And so he he moved to a more public place, the Hall of Tyrannus, and he spent about two years there reasoning with the Gentiles. I think that's so important because Ephesus was a gateway of Asia, as we can see, and it became a gateway for the gospel. And Paul appeals to this in his letter back to the Ephesians. The church network in Ephesus will have tremendous influence in just the decades to come. Timothy Timothy will pastor the church in Ephesus. And so 1st and 2nd Timothy are written to this same group of people. The apostle John will serve as an elder at the church in Ephesus. And it's believed that that's where he actually penned the words of the gospel of John in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. Ephesus was going to be a very influential city. Well, next, spiritual warfare was evident, and that's an understatement. It was palpable in Ephesus. Let's keep reading in chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
and seven sons of a, a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil, was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them. And the name of the Lord was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Can't you just feel the spiritual tension in that text? Ephesus was well known for religious pluralism, including emperor worship and many occult practices. Ephesus was the headquarters for the cult of the Roman goddess Diana. Her name in Greek is Artemis. And a temple was built in Ephesus to her. That is, that is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's thought to be, have been four times larger than the Parthenon. Like you couldn't miss this temple in Ephesus. And there was a lot of occult practices happening in the worship of this goddess. So Paul was really having to confront some crazy things. In Ephesus, he was countering exorcists, the occult, and evil spirits with the power of the Holy Spirit in ways that struck fear and magnified the name of the Lord. We saw in verse 19 that it culminated with the magicians and the sorcerers burning their books. Can you imagine what was in those books? Probably spells and incantations and other cultish practices. Paul's message about Christ was a spiritual awakening in a very dark place, but it was an intense battle. And his letter to the Ephesians will really reflect that. I want you to think about that as you read the letter. Number three, there was great opposition to Christianity in Ephesus. Let's keep going down in in chapter 19 to verse 23. Acts 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, that goddess, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may be coming into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may be even deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel 
and proceeded to create a disturbance. I think that's quite an understatement. It got really rowdy. And so many silversmiths, you can imagine, made their living in Ephesus, making little models of the goddess Diana or Artemis to sell in the streets. This was a very lucrative business in Ephesus. And so when Paul claims that Jesus is the only God worthy of their worship, their way of life was really threatened. And this created a massive eruption in Ephesus. And as a result, they dragged Paul and his companions to that amphitheater that we saw earlier. And then we read in chapter 20, verse 19, about the plot of the Jews. And you can see that there was a plot growing, growing opposition to the gospel in the city. Because by the time Paul writes this, five years later, AD 62, he has now been imprisoned in Rome. And he and the apostle Peter will both be martyred for their faith within four years of writing this letter. And so opposition is growing in Ephesus. And Paul wants to write back to them and to, and to tell them to stand firm and to fight together. And then finally, Paul loved the saints in Ephesus. On the end of his third missionary journey, he was coming back kind of close to the city of Ephesus, and he did not know what his future held, and he wanted to see these, these brothers one last time. And so he called for all the Ephesian elders to come and meet him in the city of Miletus. So we're going to read Acts 20, verses 17 to 24. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. The whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was, this is, I'm sorry, skip down to verse 36. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all, because of the word that he had spoken, that, he would not, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. If you have time, just encourage you to read this whole chapter. It's an incredibly moving interchange between Paul and these Ephesian elders. These people loved one another. It's so obvious. As you read Ephesians, particularly the prayers that you're going to read in chapter 1 and chapter 3, remember that Paul is addressing people he deeply cares for and who deeply care about him. While in prison in Rome, he also writes Colossians and Philemon during the same time. There's a lot of similarities in all three books. And he sends all three letters with this one guy, Tychicus, a trusted friend 
and he sends Tychicus to go and encourage these churches. These words are very personal. Paul sends one of his closest friends to go and give them because he wants, <clears throat> he wants them to know that they are his personal, personal words to them. All right. <clears throat> we just addressed who wrote it to whom and when it was written. Now, in what style was it written? This is pretty obvious. We've already said it. This is an epistle or a letter. And it has the format of a standard letter of its day, um, a salutation, a closing. And in the middle, this was a very common way to write. It has a, a part of thanksgiving, an exposition, something where it's trying to describe in great, um, rich language, um, spiritual truths that we have in Christ, and then an exhortation, how to live. And it was intended to be listened to as someone read it aloud from church to church in the surrounding regions. So I really wanna encourage you to try to do that at least once, but maybe once a week is listen to it from start to finish. It takes about 17 minutes on your Bible app to listen to it. Uh, but it was meant to be listened to. What are the central themes of this book. Well, we're gonna really simplify it. Of course, the biggest theme is grace. That's what our book is titled. It's all about God's grace in Christ, but it's kind of divided into two sections. Chapters one through three are who we are in Christ. That little phrase is repeated 36 times, who we are in Christ. The new life and the new community that we have in him. And then chapters four through six, in light of who we are in Christ, how should we live and fight together as a church, in our marriages, as parents, in our work? It's gonna get really practical, but it's only, you can only read that practical information in light of who you are in Christ. It's important that we see it all together. All right, so finally, we're down to the last circle around our, our text what system of study are we going to use to, to read and study this, this great letter together? Well, we're gonna be using an inductive Bible study method and that has been um, done for you in your uh, homework book. Uh, that Our author is using this method. And it's really just a three question method of study. She's gonna walk us through this. We're gonna do it together. The first question that we always ask of a text is what do I see in it? We actually want to observe the, the words themselves. And I know it sounds super obvious, but we've got to read, we've got to read Ephesians, all of it. And this, this uh, homework is gonna tell you over and over, read the whole thing. And you're gonna say, not again. Like, didn't I just do that? And it's gonna, but it's important, read it again. Or it'll say, read these three chapters surrounding what we're gonna study this week. Don't skip that step. It's super important that you read, read the words. And then you want to kind of narrow your study to a specific text each week. And in your study book, it's gonna ask you questions that are observation questions, and they have a convenient little symbol by them, an I. Okay, and anytime you see that little symbol and you hear that observation question, it wants you to write down exactly what it says in the text. So the author of the study used an ESV version. You may want to use an ESV version because she might use words that aren't exactly um, jiving with your text. 
Um, But I want you on those observation questions to just write down what the text says, okay? You're gonna feel like it gets repetitive later because it's gonna ask it in a different way. But we will all, she also is gonna ask us to look at grammar, like super boring, you think. That cannot matter whatsoever. But you know what? Paul writes really long sentences, And he writes lots and lots and lots of prepositional phrases. Sometimes you get so far away from the subject, you can't even remember who the subject was of the sentence and what the who the verb is you know is is describing. And so it's important that we that we look at the grammar. She's going to help us to do that sometimes. Observation really is just looking for the main idea of a passage: what is repeated, what is emphasized, what is related. So next we ask the question. What does it mean? And that's how we go about interpreting the words that we just read. I want you to know that meaning is determined by the author of the text, and it's discovered by us, the reader. We don't get to ask of the text, what does it mean to me? We just don't get to ask that. We have to ask, what did it mean? We're going to apply it to us, but in this step, we're trying to understand what did it mean? What did the author mean? when he wrote this. And so we'll have some work to do to uncover that meaning. We'll have to look up maybe other passages of scripture that might give us insight into the concept that we just read about. And the the homework questions will do this for you. These questions are going to be marked with the symbol of the cross. So anytime you see a cross symbol, you're answering an interpretation question. And sometimes it might just ask you what a word means. And I just wanna encourage you to get a dictionary and just have that with you pull one up on an app on, on your phone. Um, sometimes it's just helpful to just look up the words. It really can enlighten you to what this is all about. Um, but ultimately, what I value so much is that we do the work of interpretation together when we come here and we sit down and we talk about all of our answers to those kinds of interpretation questions. We want to understand it together and we will help each other to interpret what we read. Don't be discouraged if you think, I do not get this. I do not know what this means. Just stay the course, write something down, come talk about it with your sisters, and slowly you will start, the the Holy Spirit within you will start to open your eyes and teach you and convict you. The last question we ask is what now do we do with it? Now that we have read it, and we have kind of come to an understanding of what it means. What do we do with it? How do we put it into practice? And so based on what God reveals to us in the text and who we are in comparison to who he is, he's always going to push us to change something. Either you're gonna change the way you think about something or change your speech or your behavior, but he really wants us to change together. Ephesians was not written to one individual. So don't read it as if it was only written to you. It was written to us and we have to read it together and we have to apply it together. That's a really important theme running throughout the book of Ephesians. So you're gonna end your discussion each week with the same question. Which attribute of God did you see in the text this week? And in your resource and discussion guide um, on the, like the first or second page, you have a list of attributes of God. I want to encourage you to look at it at the end of your study each week and say, who, who did God reveal himself to be to me in my study? This helps us to remember that application 
ultimately is to set our affection wholly and completely on God. All right, well, we've looked at the scope, we've looked at the situation, and we've looked at the, the system that we're going to use to study Ephesians. Now I want you to approach your first week of homework, not with fear, not with trepidation, but with great expectation. I, don't, I want you to know that this author isn't going to spoon feed you anything. You're going to have to work for it, right? <laughs> um, you're going to have to work Apply your mind to this text. But I want you to expect the Spirit to teach us, to convict us, and to transform us together. He absolutely will. Let's trust, let's trust God to have something to say to us this semester. We're going to close um, by reading the, the last part of the greeting in Ephesians 1, verse 2 together. This was Paul's greeting to his brothers and sisters in Ephesus but it's ultimately to you and to me as well. And these are truths that he's going to expound upon in great detail this week as you jump in to chapter one of Ephesians. So let's stand together. We're gonna read this together. This is Ephesians 1 verse two, read it with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for extending grace to us and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to receive it. We want to experience it wholly so that we can give it to one another. And so God, we thank you for what you will teach us. We look forward to our week of homework this week and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.